0: Disc three. The supper was lovely. What is in your pot? asked Dick, accepting a second helping. I've never tasted such a delicious stew in my life. Chicken, duck, beef, bacon, rabbit, hare, hedgehog, onions, turnips, began Alfredo's wife. I put there everything that comes. It cooks and I stir, it cooks and I stir. Perhaps a partridge goes in one day and a pheasant the next and... Hold your tongue, wife, growled Alfredo, who knew quite well that the farmers round about might well ask questions about some of the things in that stew. You tell me to hold my tongue, cried little Mrs. Alfredo, angrily flourishing a spoon. You tell me that? Woof! said Timmy, receiving some nice tasty drops on his nose and licking them off. Woof! He got up and went towards the spoon, hoping for a few more. Oh, Aunt Nita, do give Timmy a spoonful out of the stew, begged Joe. And to Timmy's great joy, he got a big plateful all to himself. He could hardly believe it. Thank you very much for a very nice supper, said Julian feeling that it really was time to go. He got up and the others followed his example. And thank you for fire-eating for us, Alfredo, said George. It doesn't seem to have spoilt your appetite. (laughs) Phew, said Alfredo, as if such a thing would never enter his head. Joe, are you going to stay with us again tonight? You are welcome. I just like an old rug, that's all, Aunt Nita, said Joe. I'm going to sleep under George's caravan. You can sleep on the floor inside if you like, said George. But Jo shook her head. No, I've had enough of sleeping indoors for a bit. I want to sleep out. Under the caravan will be a fine place for me. Travellers often sleep there when the weather is warm. They went back over the dark hillside. A few stars were out, but the moon was not yet up. That was a jolly interesting evening, said Dick. I enjoyed it. I like your aunt and Uncle Joe. Joe was delighted. She always loved praise from Dick. She went under the girl's caravan and rolled herself up in the rug. She had been taught to clean her teeth and wash and do her hair by the foster mother she had lived with for some months, but all that was forgotten now that she was leading a traveller's life again. In a day or two, she'll be the filthy, dirty, tangly-haired, rude girl she was when we first knew her, said George, combing out her own hair extra well. I'm glad we're going to stay here after all, aren't you, Anne? I really do think the fair people are friendly towards us now. Thanks to Joe," said Anne. George said nothing. She didn't like being under obligation to Joe. She finished preparing herself for bed and got into her bunk. "'I wish we'd seen that face at the window, "'don't you, Anne?' she said. "'I do wonder whose it was, "'and why it was there, looking out.' "'I don't think I want to talk about faces at windows just now,' "'said Anne, getting into her bunk. "'Let's change the subject.' "'She blew out the lamp and settled down. "'They talked for a few minutes, "'and then George heard something outside the caravan.' What could it be? Timmy raised his head and gave a little growl. George looked at the window opposite. A lone star shone through it, and then something came in front of the star, blotted it out, and pressed itself against the glass pane. Timmy growled again, but not very loudly. Was it someone he knew? George flashed on her torch and immediately saw what it was. She gave a little giggle. Then she called to Anne. Anne, Anne, quick, there's a face at the window. Anne, wake up. I'm not asleep, said Anne's voice, and she sat up, scared. What face? Where? You're not just frightening me, are you? No, there it is. Look, said George, and shone her torch at the window. A big, long, dark brown face looked in, and Anne gave a shriek. Then... She laughed. You beast, George! It's only Alfredo's horse. Oh, you did give me a fright. I've a good mind to pull you out of your bunk onto the floor. Oh, go away, you silly staring horse. Shoo! Go away! Chapter 13 Off to the Castle Next morning... As they had breakfast, the children discussed the face at the castle window again. They had levelled the field glasses time and again at the window, but there was nothing to be seen. "'Let's go and see over the castle as soon as it opens,' said Dick. "'But mind, nobody is to mention faces at windows. "'You hear me, Joe? "'You're the one who can't keep your tongue still sometimes.' Joe flared up. "'I'm not? "'I can keep a secret?' all right fire eater said dick with a grin he looked at his watch it's too soon to go yet i'll go and help mr slither with his snakes said joe anyone else coming mr slither what a marvelous name for a man who keeps snakes said dick i don't mind coming to watch but i'm not keen on the way they pour themselves up and down people They all went to Mr. Slither's caravan, except Anne, who said she would much rather clear up the breakfast things. The snake man had both his snakes out of their box. "'He is polishing them,' said George, sitting down nearby. "'See how he makes their brown bodies shine!' "'Here, Joe, you mop beauty for me,' said Mr. Slither. "'The stuff is in that bottle over there.' He's got those nasty little mites again under his scales. Mop him with that stuff and that will soon get rid of them. Jo seemed to know what to do. She got a rag, tipped up the bottle of yellow stuff and began to pat one of the snakes gently, letting the lotion soak round his scales. George, not to be outdone, offered to help in the polishing of the other snake. You hold him then, said Mr Slither, and slid the snake over to George. He got up and went into his caravan. George hadn't quite bargained for this. The snake lay across her knees and then began to wind round her body. Don't you let him get a hold of you with his tail, Joe warned her. The boys soon got tired of seeing Joe and George vying with one another over the pythons, and went off to where Buffalo was practising spinning rope rings. He spun loop after loop of rope, making wonderful patterns in the air with it. He grinned at the boys. Like a try, he said, but neither of them could do anything with the rope at all. Let's see you snap off something with the whip lash, said Dick. I think you're a marvel at that. What do you want me to hit? asked Buffalo, picking up his magnificent whip. The topmost leaves on that bush? Yes, said Dick. Buffalo looked at them, swung his whip once or twice, lifted it, and cracked it. Like magic, the topmost leaves disappeared off the bush. The boys gazed in admiration. Now pick off that daisy head over there, said Julian, pointing. Crack! The daisy head vanished. That's easy, said Buffalo. Look. You hold a pencil or something in your hand, one of you. I'll pick it out without touching your fingers. Julian hesitated. But Dick dived his hand into his pocket and brought out a red pencil, not very long. He held out his hand with the pencil between finger and thumb. Buffalo looked at it with half-closed eyes, as if measuring the distance. He raised his whip. Crack! the tip end of the lash curled itself round the pencil and pulled it clean out of Dick's hand. It flew up into the air and Buffalo reached out his hand and caught it. Surely good, said Dick, lost in admiration. Does it take long to learn a thing like that? A matter of 20 years or so, said Buffalo. But you want to begin when you're a nipper, about three years old, say. My pa taught me, and if I didn't learn fast enough, he'd take the skin off the tips of my ears with his whiplash. <laughs> you soon learn if you know that's going to happen to you. The boys gazed at Buffalo's big ears. They certainly did look a bit rough at the edges. I throw knives too, said Buffalo, basking in the boys' admiration. I put Skippy up against a board and throw knives all round her, so that when she walks away from the board at the end, there's her shape all outlined in knives. Like to see me? Well, uh, no, not now, said Julian, looking at his watch. We're going to see over the castle. Have you ever seen over at Buffalo? Nah, who wants to waste time going over a ruined old castle, said Buffalo scornfully. Not me. He went off to his caravan spinning rope rings as he went with an ease that Dick couldn't help envying from the bottom of his heart what a pity he hadn't begun to learn these things early enough he was afraid he would never be really good at them now he was too old George, Joe, it's time we went, called Julian put down those snakes and come along Anne, are you ready? Mr. Slither went to collect his snakes. They glided over him in delight and he ran his hands over their smooth, gleaming bodies. I must wash my hands before I go, said George. They're a bit snaky. Coming, Joe? Joe didn't really see why it was necessary to wash snaky hands, but she went with George to the stream and they rinsed them thoroughly. George wiped her hands on a rather dirty hanky and Jo wiped hers on a much dirtier skirt. She looked at George's jeans enviously. (gasps) What a pity to have to wear skirts. They didn't lock up the caravans. Julian felt sure that the Fair Folk were now really friendly to them and would not take anything from them themselves, nor permit anyone else to do so. They all walked down the hillside, Timmy bounding along joyfully under the impression that he was going to take them for a nice long walk. They climbed over the stile, walked up the lane a little way, and came to the wooden gate that opened onto the steep path up to the castle. Now that it was so near to them, it looked almost as if it might fall on top of them. They went up the path and came to the small tower, in which was the little door giving entrance to the castle. An old woman was there, looking a little like a witch. If she had had green eyes, Anne would most certainly have set her down as a descendant of a witch. But she had eyes like black beads. She had no teeth at all, and it was difficult to understand what she said. Five, please,' said Julian, giving her twenty-five pence. "'You can't take the dog in,' said the old woman, mumbling so much that they couldn't make out what she said. She pointed to the dog and repeated her remark again, shaking her head all the time. Oh, can't we really take our dog, said George. He won't do any harm. The old woman pointed to a set of rules. Dogs not allowed in. All right, we'll leave him outside then, said George crossly. What a silly rule! Timmy, stay here. We won't be long. Timmy put his tail down. He didn't approve of this. But he knew that he was not allowed into certain places, such as churches. And he imagined this place must be an enormous church, the kind of place into which George so often disappeared on Sundays. He lay down in a sunny corner. The five children went in through the clicking turnstile. "'they opened the door beyond and went into the castle grounds. "'The door shut behind them. "'Wait, we ought to get a guide book," said Julian. "'I want to know something about that tower.' "'He went back and bought one for another five pence. "'They stood in the great castle yard and looked at the book. "'It gave the history of the old place, "'a history of peace and war, quarrels and truces, "'family feuds, marriages,' and all the other things that make up history. "'It would be an exciting story if it was written up properly,' said Julian. "'Look, here's the plan. There are dungeons.' "'Not open to the public,' quoted Dick in disappointment. "'What a pity!' "'It was once a very strong and powerful castle,' said Julian, looking at the plan." It always had the strong wall that is still round it, and the castle itself is built in the middle of a great courtyard that runs all round. It says the walls of the castle itself are eight feet thick. Eight feet thick! No wonder most of it is still standing. They looked at the silent ruins in awe. The castle towered up, broken here and there, with sometimes a whole wall missing and with all the doorways misshapen. ''There were four towers, of course,'' said Julian, still with his nose glued to the guidebook. ''It says three are almost completely ruined now, but the fourth one is in fairly good condition, though the stone stairway that led up to the top has fallen in.'' ''Well, then, you couldn't have seen a face at that window.'' "'said George, looking up at the fourth tower. "'If the stairway has fallen in, no one could get up there.' Hmm. We'll see how much fallen in it is,' said Julian. "'It may be dangerous to the public, "'and perhaps we'll find a notice warning us off, "'but it might be quite climbable in places.' "'Shall we go up it, if so?' said Jo, her eyes shining. "'What shall we do if we find the face?' We'll wait till we find it first, said Julian. He shut the guidebook and put it into his pocket. Well, we seem to be the only people here. Let's get going. We'll walk round the courtyard first. They walked round the courtyard that surrounded the castle. It was strewn with great white stones that had fallen from the walls of the castle itself. In one place, a whole wall had fallen in, "'and they could see the inside of the castle, dark and forbidding. "'They came round to the front of it again. "'Let's go in at the front door, "'if you can call that great stone archway that,' said Julian. "'I say, can't you imagine knights on horseback "'riding round this courtyard, "'impatient to be off to some tournament, "'their horses' hooves clip-clopping all the time?' "'Yes,' said Dick, I can just imagine it. They went in at the arched entrance and wandered through room after room with stone floors and walls and with small slit-like windows that gave very little light indeed. They had no glass for panes in those days, said Dick. I bet they were glad on cold windy days that the windows were so tiny. Brrr, this must have been a terribly cold place to live in. The floors used to be covered with rushes, and tapestry was hung on the walls, said Anne, remembering a history lesson. Julian, let's go and look for the stairway to that tower now. Do let's. I'm longing to find out whether there really is a face up in that tower. Chapter 14 Fae Knight's Castle Jack! Jack, 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 Jack. The jackdaws circled round the old castle, calling to one another in their cheerful, friendly voices. The five children looked up and watched them. You can see the grey at the backs of their necks, said Dick. I wonder how many years jackdaws have lived round and about this castle. I suppose the sticks lying all over this courtyard must have been dropped by them, said Julian. They make their nests of big twigs. Really, they must drop as many as they use. Just look at that pile over there. Very wasteful of them, said Dick. I wish they would come and drop some near our caravan to save me going to get firewood each day for the fire. They were standing at the great archway that made the entrance to the castle. Anne grew impatient. Do let's look at the towers now, she said. They went into the nearest one, but it was almost impossible to realise that it had been a tower. It was just a great heap of fallen stones, piled one on top of another. They went to the only good tower. They had hoped to find some remains of a stone stairway, but to their great disappointment, they could not even look up into the tower. One of the inner walls had fallen in, and the floor was piled up, completely blocked. There was no sign of a stairway. Either it too had fallen in, or it was covered by the stones of the ruined wall. Julian was astonished. It was obvious that nobody could possibly climb up the tower from the inside. Then how in the world could there have been a face at the tower window? He began to feel rather uncomfortable. Was it a real face? If not, what could it have been? This is odd, said Dick, thinking the same as Julian, and pointing to the heaped-up stones on the ground floor of the tower. It does look absolutely impossible for anyone to get up into the top of the tower. Well, what about that face, then? Let's go and ask that old woman if there is any way at all of getting up into the tower, said Julian. She might know. So they left the castle, walked across the courtyard... "'back to the little tower in the outer wall "'that guarded the big gateway. "'The old woman was sitting by the turnstile, knitting. "'Could you tell us, please, "'if there is any way of getting up into the tower over there?' "'asked Julian. "'The old woman answered something, "'but it was difficult to understand a word she said. "'However, as she shook her head vigorously, "'it was plain that there was no way up to the tower.' It was very puzzling is there a better plan of the castle than this asked julian showing his book. a plan of the dungeons for instance and a plan of the towers as they once were before they were ruined the old lady said something that sounded like society reservation of something rather what did you say asked julian patiently The witch-like woman was evidently getting tired of these questions. She opened a big book that showed the amount of people and fees paid and looked down it. She put her finger on something written there and showed it to Julian. Society for Preservation of Old Buildings, he read. Oh, did somebody come from them lately? Would they know more than it says in the guidebook? Yes, said the old woman. Two men came. They spent all day here last Thursday. "'You ask that society what you want to know, not me. "'I only take the money.' "'She sounded quite intelligible all of a sudden. "'Then she relapsed into mumbles again, and no one could understand a word. "'Anyway, she's told us what we want to know,' said Julian. "'We'll telephone the society and ask them if they can tell us any more about the castle.' There may be secret passages and things not shown in the guidebook at all. How exciting, said George, thrilled. I say, let's go back to that tower and look at the outside of it. It might be climbable there. They went back to see, but it wasn't climbable. Although the stones it was built of were uneven enough to form slight footholds and handholds, it would be much too dangerous for anyone to try to climb up even the cat-footed Joe. For one thing, it would not be possible to tell which stones were loose and crumbling until the climber caught hold, and then down he would go. All the same, Joe was willing to try. "'I might be able to do it,' she said, slipping off one of her shoes. "'Put your shoe on,' said Dick at once. "'You are not going to try any tricks of that sort.' There isn't even ivy for you to cling to. Jo put back her shoe sulkily, looking astonishingly like George as she scowled. And then, to everyone's enormous astonishment, who should come bounding up to them but Timmy? Timmy! Wherever have you come from? said George in surprise. There's no way in except through the turnstile, and the door behind it is shut. "'We shut it ourselves. "'How did you get in?' "'Woof!' said Timmy, trying to explain. "'He ran to the good tower, "'made his way over the blocks of stone lying about, "'and stopped by a small space "'between three or four of the fallen stones. "'Woof!' he said again, "'and pawed at one of the stones. "'He came out there,' said George. "'She tugged at a big stone,' but she couldn't move it an inch, of course. I don't know how in the world Timmy squeezed himself out of this space. It doesn't look big enough for a rabbit. Certainly none of us could get inside. What puzzles me, said Julian, is how Timmy got in from the outside. We left him right outside the castle, so he must have run round the outer wall somewhere and found a small hole. He must have squeezed into that. Yes, that's right, said Dick. We know the walls are eight feet thick, so he must have found a place where a bit of it had broken at the bottom and forced his way in. But would there be a hole right through the whole thickness of eight feet? This was really puzzling. They all looked at Timmy and he wagged his tail expectantly. Then he barked loudly and cape it round as if he wanted a game the door behind the turnstile opened at once and the old lady appeared how did that dog get here? she called he's to go out at once we don't know how he got in, said Dick is there a hole in the outer wall? no, said the old woman, not one you must have let that dog in when I wasn't looking he's to go out, and you two You've been here long enough. We may as well go, said Julian. We've seen all there is to see, or all that we are allowed to see. I'm quite sure there is some way of getting up into that tower, although the stairway is in ruins. I'm going to bring up the Society for the Preservation of Old Buildings and ask them to put me in touch with the fellows who examined the castle last week. They must have been experts. Yes, they would probably have a complete plan, said Dick. Secret passages, dungeons, hidden rooms and all, if there are any. They took Timmy by the collar and went out through the turnstiles. Click, click, click. I feel like having a couple of doughnuts at the dairy, said George, and some lemonade. Anyone else feel the same? Everyone did, including Timmy, who barked at once. Tim is silly over those doughnuts, said George. He just wolfs them down. It's a great waste, said Anne. He ate four last time, more than anyone else had. They walked down to the village. You go and order what we want, said Julian, and I'll just go and look up the society. It may have an office somewhere in this district. He went to the post office to use the telephone there and the rest of them trooped in at the door of the bright little dairy. The plump shopwoman welcomed them beamingly. She considered them her best customers, and they certainly were. They were each on their second doughnut when Julian came back. Any news? asked Dick. Yes, said Julian. Peculiar news, though. I found the address of the society. They've got a branch about fifty miles from here that deals with all the old buildings for a radius of a hundred miles. I asked if they had any recent booklet about the castle. He stopped to take a doughnut and bit into it. The others waited patiently while he chewed. They said they hadn't. The last time they had checked over Fainite's castle was two years ago. But, But what about those two men who came from the society last week then, said George? Yes, that's what I said, answered Julian, taking another bite. And here's the peculiar bit. They said they didn't know what I was talking about. Nobody had been sent there from the society, and who was I anyhow? Hmm, said Dick, thinking hard. Then those men were examining and exploring the castle for their own reasons. I agree, said Julian, and I can't help thinking that the face at the window and those two men have something to do with one another. It's quite clear that the men had nothing whatever to do with any official society. They merely gave it as an excuse because they wanted to find out what kind of hiding place the castle had. The others stared at him, feeling a familiar excitement rising in them, what George called the adventure feeling. Then there was a real face at that tower window and there is a way of getting up there, said Anne. Yes, said Julian. I know it sounds very far-fetched, but I do think there is just a possibility that those two scientists have gone there. I don't know if you read it in the paper, but one of them, Geoffrey Pottersham, "'has written a book on famous ruins, "'he would know all about Fae castle "'because it's a very well-known one. "'If they wanted to hide somewhere "'till the hue and cry had died down "'and then escape to another country, "'well, they could hide in the tower "'and then quietly slip out from the castle one night, "'go down to the sea and hire a fishing boat,' cried Dick. "'taking the words out of Julian's mouth. "'They'd be across the channel in no time.' "'Yes, that's what I'd worked out too,' said Julian. i rather think I'll telephone Uncle Quentin about this. "'I'll describe the face as well as I can to him. "'I feel this is all rather too important to manage quite on our own. "'Those men may have extremely important secrets. "'It's an adventure again!' said Jo, her face serious but her eyes very bright oh I'm glad I'm in it too chapter 15 an interesting day everyone began to feel distinctly excited I think I'll catch the bus into the next town, said Julian the telephone box here is too easily overheard I'd rather go to a kiosk somewhere in a street where nobody can hear what I'm saying. All right, you go, said Dick. We'll do some shopping and go back to the caravans. I wonder what Uncle Quentin will say. Julian went off to the bus stop. The others wandered in and out of the few village shops doing their shopping. Tomatoes, lettuces, mustard and cress, sausage rolls, fruit cake, tins of fruit, and plenty of creamy milk in big quart bottles. They met some of the fair folk in the street, and everyone was very friendly indeed. Mrs Alfredo was there with an enormous basket, nearly as big as herself. She beamed and called across to them. You see, I have to do my shopping myself. That big bad man is too lazy to do it for me, and he has no brains. I tell him to bring back meat, and he brings back fish. I tell him to buy cabbage, and he brings lettuce. He has no brains. The children laughed. It was strange to find great big Alfredo, a real fire-eater, ordered about and grumbled at by his tiny little wife. It's a change to find them all so friendly, said George, pleased. Long may it last. There's the snake man, Mr Slither. He hasn't got his snakes with him, though. He'd have the whole village to himself if he did, said Anne. I wonder what he buys to feed his snakes on. They're only fed once a fortnight, said Joe. They swallow... No, don't tell me, said Anne hastily. I don't really want to know. Look, there's Skippy. Skippy waved cheerily. She carried bags filled to bursting, too. The fair folks certainly did themselves well. They must make a lot of money, said Anne. Well, they spend it when they have it, said Joe. They never save. It's either a good time for them or a very bad time. They must have had a good run at the last show place. They all seem very rich. They went back to the camp and spent a very interesting day. Because the fair folk, eager to make up for their unfriendly behaviour, made them all very welcome. Alfredo explained his fire eating a little more and showed how he put wads of cotton wool at the hook end of his torches and then soaked them in petrol to flare easily. The rubber man obligingly wriggled in and out of the wheel spokes of his caravan, a most amazing feat. He also doubled himself up and twisted his arms and legs together in such a peculiar manner that he seemed to be more like a four-tentacled octopus than a human being. He offered to teach Dick how to do this, but Dick couldn't even bend himself properly double. He was disappointed because he couldn't help thinking what a marvellous trick it would be to perform in the playing field at school. Mr Slither gave them a most entertaining talk about snakes, "'and ended up with some information about poisonous snakes "'that he said they might find very useful indeed. "'Take rattlers now,' he said, "'or mambers, or any poisonous snake. "'If you want to catch one to tame, "'don't go after it with a stick or pin it to the ground. "'That frightens it, and you can't do anything with it.' "'What do you have to do then?' asked George. Well, you want to watch their forked tongues, said Mr Slither earnestly. You know how they put them out and make them quiver and shake? Yes, said everyone. Well now, if a poisonous snake makes its tongue go all stiff without a quiver in it, just be careful, said Mr Slither solemnly. Don't you touch it then. But if its tongue is nice and quivery, just slide your arms along its body and it will let you pick it up. He went through the motions he described, picking up a pretend snake and letting its body slither through his arms. It was fascinating to watch, but very weird. Thanks most awfully, said Dick. Whenever I pick up poisonous snakes, I'll do exactly as you say. The others laughed dick sounded as if he went about picking up poisonous snakes every day mr slither was pleased to have such an appreciative audience george and anne however had firmly made up their minds that they were not going even to look at a snake's tongue if it put it out they were going to run for miles there were a few more fair folk there that the children didn't know much about dacca the tap dancer, who put on high boots and tap danced for the children on the top step of her caravan. Pearl, who was an acrobat and could walk on wire rope, dance on it and turn somersaults over it, landing back safely each time. And others who belonged to the show but only helped with the crowds and the various turns. Jo didn't know them all, but she was soon so much one of them that the children began to wonder if she would ever go back to her foster mother again. "'She's exactly like them all now,' said George. "'Cheerful and dirty, slapdash and generous, lazy and yet hard-working too. "'Buffalo practices for hours at his rope-spinning, but he lies about for hours too. "'They're strange folk, but I really do like them very much,' the others agreed with her heartily. They had their lunch without Julian, because he hadn't come back. Why was he so long? He only had to telephone his uncle. He came back at last. Sorry I'm so late, he said, but first of all, I couldn't get any answer at all. So I waited a bit in case Aunt Fanny and Uncle Quentin were out, and I had lunch while I waited. Then I telephoned again, and Aunt Fanny was in, but Uncle Quentin had gone to London and wouldn't be back till night. ''To London?'' said George, astonished. ''He hardly ever goes to London.'' ''Apparently, he went up about these two missing scientists,'' said Julian. ''He's so certain that his friend Terry Kane isn't a traitor, and he went up to tell the authorities so. Well, I couldn't wait till night, of course.'' ''Didn't you report our news then?'' said Dick, disappointed.'' Yes, but I had to tell Aunt Fanny, said Julian. She said she would repeat it all to Uncle Quentin when he came back tonight. It's a pity I couldn't get hold of him and find out what he thinks. I asked Aunt Fanny to tell him to write to me at once. After tea, they sat on the hillside again, basking in the sun. It really was wonderful weather for them. Julian looked over to the ruined castle opposite. He fixed his eyes on the tower where they had seen the face. It was so far away that he could only just make out the window slit. Get your glasses, George, he said. We may as well have another squint at the window. It was about this time that we saw the face. George fetched them. She would not give them to Julian first, though. She put them to her own eyes and gazed at the window. At first, she saw nothing. And then... Quite suddenly, a face appeared at the window. George was so astonished that she cried out. Julian snatched the glasses from her. He focused them on the window and saw the face at once. Yes, the same as yesterday, eyebrows and all. Dick took the glasses, and then each of them in turn gazed at the strange face. It did not move at all, as far as they could see, but simply stared. Then, when Anne was looking at it, it suddenly disappeared and did not come back again. "'Well, we didn't imagine it yesterday then,' said Julian. "'It's there all right. And where there's a face, there should be a body. "'Er, did any of you think that the face had a, a sort of despairing expression?' "'Yes,' said Dick, and the others agreed. "'I thought so yesterday too.' said dick do you suppose the fellow whoever he is is being kept prisoner up there it looks like it said julian but how in the world did he get there it's a marvelous place to put him of course nobody would ever dream of a hiding place like that and if it hadn't been for us looking at the jack doors through very fine field glasses we'd never have seen him looking out It was a chance in a thousand that we saw him. In a million, said Dick. Look here, Jew. I think we ought to go up to the castle and yell up to the fellow. He might be able to yell back or throw a message out. He would have thrown out a message before now if he'd been able to, said Julian. As for yelling, he'd have to lean right out of that thick walled window to make himself heard. He's right at the back of it, remember, and the slit is very deep. Can't we go and find out something, said George, who was longing to take some action. After all, Timmy got in somewhere, and we might be able to as well. That's quite an idea, said Julian. Timmy did find a way in, and it may be the way that leads up to the top of the tower. Let's go then, said George at once. "'Not now,' said Julian. "'We'd be seen if we scrambled about on the hill outside the castle walls. "'We'd have to go at night. "'We could go when the moon comes up.' "'A shiver of excitement ran through the whole five. "'Timmy thumped his tail on the ground. "'He had been listening all the time, just as if he understood. "'We'll take you too, Timmy,' said George, "'just in case we run into any trouble.' "'We shan't get into trouble,' said julian we're only going to explore and i don't think for a minute we'll find much because i'm sure we shan't be able to get up into the tower but i expect you all feel like i do you can't leave this mystery of the face at the window alone you want to do something about it even if it's only scrambling round the old walls at night yes that's exactly how i feel said george i wouldn't be able to go to sleep tonight i know Oh, Julian, isn't this exciting? Very, said Julian. I'm glad we didn't leave today, after all. We should have, if we hadn't seen that face at the window. The sun went down and the air grew rather cold. They went into the boys' caravan and played cards, not feeling at all sleepy. Jo was very bad at cards and soon stopped playing. She sat watching, her arm round Timmy's neck. They had a supper of sausage rolls and tinned strawberries. It's a pity they don't have meals like this at school, said Dick. No trouble to prepare and most delicious to eat. Julian, is it time to go? Yes, said Julian. Put on warm things and we'll set off. Here's to a really adventurous night. Chapter 16 Secret Ways They waited till the moon went behind a cloud and then, like moving shadows, made their way down the hillside as fast as they could. They did not want any of the fair folk to see them. They clambered over the stile and went up the lane. They made their way up the steep path to the castle, but when they came to the little tower, where the turnstile was, they went off to the right, and walked round the foot of the great thick walls. It was difficult to walk there, because the slope of the hill was so steep. Timmy went with them, excited at this unexpected walk. Now, Timmy, listen. We want you to show us how you got in, said George. Are you listening, Timmy? Go in, Timmy. Go in where you went this morning. Timmy waved his long tail, panted, and let his tongue hang out in the way he did when he wanted to show he was being as helpful as he could. He ran in front, sniffing. Then he suddenly stopped and looked back. He gave a little whine. The others hurried to him. The moon most annoyingly went behind a cloud. Julian took out his torch and shone it where Timmy stood. The dog stood there looking very pleased. Well, what is there to be pleased about, Timmy? said Julian puzzled there's no hole there nowhere you could possibly have got in what are you trying to show us? Timmy gave a little bark then suddenly leapt about four feet up the uneven stones of the wall and disappeared hey where's he gone? said Julian startled he flashed his torch up I say look there's a stone missing up there quite a big block, and Timmy's gone in at the hole. There's the block, fallen down the hillside, said Dick, pointing to a big white stone, roughly square in shape. But how has Timmy gone in, Jew? This wall is frightfully thick, and even if one stone falls out, there must be plenty more behind. Julian climbed up. He came to the space where the great fallen stone had been and flashed his torch there. I say, this is interesting, he called. The wall is hollow just here. Timmy's gone into the hollow. At once, a surge of excitement went through the whole lot. Can we get in and follow Timmy? called George. Shout him, Julian, and see where he is. Julian called into the hollow. Timmy, Timmy, where are you? A distant, rather muffled bark answered him. And then Timmy's eyes suddenly gleamed up at Julian. The dog was standing down in the small hollow behind the fallen stone. "'He's here!' called back Julian. "'I tell you what I think we've hit on. "'When this enormous wall was built, a space was left inside, "'either to save stones or to make a hidden passage. "'I don't know which. "'And that fallen stone has exposed a bit of the hollow.' Shall we explore? Oh, yes, came the answer at once. Julian climbed down into the middle of the wall. He flashed his torch into the space he was standing in. Yes, he called. It's a kind of passage. It's small, though. We'll have to bend almost double to get along it. Anne, you come next, then I can help you. Will the air be all right? called Dick into the passage. "'It smells a bit musty,' said Julian. "'But if it really is a passage, "'there must be secret air holes somewhere "'to keep the air fresh in here. "'That's right, Anne. "'You hang on to me. Uh, "'Joe, you come next, "'then George, then Dick.' "'Soon they were all in the curious passage, "'which ran along in the centre of the wall. "'It certainly was very small. "'They all got tired of going along bent double,' It was pitch dark, too, and although they all had torches, except Joe, it was very difficult to see. Anne hung on to Julian's jacket for dear life. She wasn't enjoying this very much, but she wouldn't have been left out of it for anything. Julian suddenly stopped, and everyone bumped into the one in front. What's up? called Dick from the back. Steps here, shouted back Julian. "'Steps going down very, very steeply, almost like a stone ladder. "'Be careful, everybody!' "'The steps were certainly steep. "'Better go down backwards,' decided Julian. "'Then we can have handholds as well as footholds. "'Anne, wait till I'm down and I'll help you.' "'The steps went down for about ten feet. "'Julian got down safely.' Then Anne turned herself round and went down backwards too, as if she were on a ladder instead of on stairs. It was much easier that way. At the bottom was another passage, wider and higher, for which everyone was devoutly thankful. Where does this lead to? said Julian, stopping to think. This passage is at right angles to the wall. We've left the wall now. We're going underneath part of the courtyard, I should think. I bet we're not far from that tower, called Dick. I say, I do hope this leads to the tower. Nobody could possibly tell where it was going to lead to. Anyway, it seemed to run quite straight, and after about 80 feet of it, Julian stopped again. Steps up again, he called, just as steep as the others. I think... We may be going up into the inside of the castle walls. This is possibly a secret way into one of the old rooms of the castle. They went carefully up the steep stone steps and found themselves not in a passage but in a very small room that appeared to be hollowed out of the wall of the castle itself. Julian stopped in surprise and everyone crowded into the tiny room. It really wasn't much larger than a big cupboard. A narrow bench stood at one side with a shelf above it. An old pitcher stood on the shelf with a broken lip and on the bench was a small dagger, rusty and broken. I say, look here. This is a secret room like they used to have in old places so that someone might hide if necessary, said Julian. We're inside one of the walls of the castle itself. Perhaps the wall of an old bedroom. And there's the old pitcher that had water in, said George, and a dagger. Who hit here? And how long ago? Dick flashed his torch round to see if he could spot anything else. He gave a sudden exclamation and kept his torch fixed on a corner of the room. What is it? said Julian. "'Paper? Red and blue silver paper,' said Dick. "'Chocolate wrapping. "'How many times have we bought this kind of chocolate "'wrapped in silver paper, patterned with red and blue?' "'He picked it up and straightened it out. "'Yes, there was the name of the chocolate firm on it.' "'Everyone was silent. "'This could only mean one thing. "'Someone had been in this room lately.' someone who ate chocolate, someone who had thrown down the wrapping, never expecting it to be found. Well, said Julian, breaking the silence, this is surprising. Someone else knows this way in. Where does it lead to? Up to that tower, I imagine. Hadn't we better be careful, said Dick, lowering his voice. I mean, whoever was here might quite well be wandering about somewhere near. Yes, perhaps we'd better go back, said Julian, thinking of the girls. No, said George in a fierce whisper. Let's go on. We can be very cautious. A passage led from the strange hidden room. It went along on the level for a little way, and then they arrived at a spiral stairway that ran straight upwards like a corkscrew. At the top, they came to a small, very narrow door. It had a great old-fashioned iron ring for a handle. Julian stood hesitating. Should he open it or not? He stood for half a minute, trying to make up his mind. He whispered back to the others, I've come to a little door. Shall I open it? Yes, came back the answering whispers. Julian cautiously took hold of the iron ring. He turned it, and it made no noise. He wondered if the door was locked on the other side, but it wasn't. It opened silently. Julian looked through it, expecting to see a room, but there wasn't one. Instead, he found himself on a small gallery that seemed to run all the way round the inside of the tower. The moon shone in through a slit window, and Julian could just make out that he must be looking down from a gallery into the darkness of a tower room on the second or third floor of the tower. The third, probably. He pulled Anne out, and the other three followed. There was no sound to be heard. Julian whispered to the others. We've come out onto a gallery which overlooks one of the rooms inside the tower. It may be a second-floor room. "'Because we know that the ceiling of the first floor has fallen in. "'Or perhaps it's even the third floor.' "'Must be the third, said Dick. "'We're pretty high.' "'His whisper went all round the gallery and came back to them. "'He had spoken more loudly than Julian. "'It made them jump. "'How do we get higher still?' whispered George. "'Is there any way up from this gallery?' "'We'll walk round it and see.' said julian be as quiet as you can i don't think there's anyone here but you never know and watch your step in case the stone isn't sound it's very crumbly here and there julian led the way round the curious little gallery had this tower room been used for old plays or mimes was the gallery for spectators He wished he could turn back the years and lean over the gallery to see what had been going on in the room below when the castle was full of people. About three quarters of the way round the gallery, a little flight of steps led downwards into the room below. But just beyond where the steps began, there was another door set in the wall, very like the one they had just come through. It too had an iron ring for a handle. Julian turned it slowly. It didn't open. Was it locked? There was a great key standing in the iron lock, and Julian turned it. But still the door didn't open. Then he saw that it was bolted. The bolt was securely pushed home. So somebody was a prisoner on the other side. Was it the man who owned the face? Julian turned and whispered very softly in Anne's ear There's a door here, bolted on my side Looks as if we're coming to the face Tell George to send Timmy right up to me Anne whispered to George And George pushed Timmy forward He squeezed past Anne's legs And stood by Julian, sensing the sudden excitement We're probably coming to stairs that lead up to the top tower room where that window is with the face, thought Julian as he slid back the bolt very cautiously. He pushed the door and it opened. He stood listening, his torch switched off. Then he switched it on. Just as he had thought, another stone stairway led up steeply. At the top must be the prisoner, whoever he was. We'll go up, said Julian softly. Quiet, everybody. Chapter 17 Excitement and Shocks Timmy strained forward, but Julian had his hand on the dog's collar. He went up the stone stairway, very steep and narrow. The others followed with hardly a sound. All of them but Joe had on their rubber shoes. She had bare feet. Timmy made the most noise because his claws clicked on the stone. At the top was another door. From behind it came a curious noise, guttural and growling. Timmy growled in his throat. At first, Julian couldn't think what the noise was. Then he suddenly knew. Somebody's snoring. Well... "'That's lucky. I can take a peep in and see who it is. "'We must be at the top of the tower now.' "'The door in front of him was not locked. "'He pushed it open and looked inside, his hand still on Timmy's collar. "'The moonlight struck through a narrow window and fell on the face of a sleeping man. "'Julian stared at it in rising excitement. "'Those eyebrows! Yes!' This was the man whose face had appeared at the window. And I know who he is, too. It is Terry Kane, thought Julian, moving like a shadow into the room. He's exactly like the picture we saw in the papers. Perhaps the other man is here, too. He looked cautiously round the room, but could see no one else. Although it was possible there might be someone in the darkest shadows, he listened. There was only the snoring of the man lying in the moonlight. He could not hear the breathing of anyone else. With his hand still on Timmy's collar, he switched on his torch and swept it round the tower room, its beam piercing the black corners. No one was there except the one man, and with a sudden shock, Julian saw that he was tied with ropes. His arms were bound behind him, and his legs were tied together too. If this was Terry Kane, then his uncle must be right. The man was no traitor. He had been kidnapped and was a prisoner. Everyone was now in the room, staring at the sleeping man. He had his mouth open and he still snored loudly. What are you going to do, Julian? whispered George. Wake him up? Julian nodded. He went over to the sleeping man and shook him by the shoulder. He woke up at once and stared in amazement at Julian, who was full in the moonlight. He struggled up to a sitting position. "'Who are you?' he said. "'How did you get here? And who are those over in the shadows there?' "'Listen, are you Mr. Terry Kane?' asked Julian. "'Yes, I am. But who are you?' "'We are staying on the hill opposite the castle,' said Julian.' And we saw your face at the window through our field glasses, so we came to find you. But how do you know who I am? said the man, still amazed. We read about you in the papers, said Julian, and we saw your picture. We couldn't help noticing your eyebrows, sir. We even saw them through the glasses. Look here, can you undo me? said the man eagerly. I must escape. "'Tomorrow night, my enemies are smuggling me out of here, "'into a car and down to the sea, "'and a boat is being hired to take me across to the continent. "'They want me to tell them what I know about my latest experiments. "'I shan't, of course, but life wouldn't be at all pleasant for me.' "'I'll cut the ropes,' said Julian, and he took out his pocket knife. "'He cut the knots that tied Terry Kane's wrists together "'and then freed his legs.' Timmy stood and watched, ready to pounce if the man did anything fierce. Oh, that's better, said the man, stretching his arms out. How did you manage to get to the window? asked Julian, watching the man rub his arms and knees. Each evening, one of the men who brought me here comes to bring me food and drink, said Terry Kane. He undoes my hands so that I can feed myself. He sits and smokes while I eat, taking no notice of me. I drag myself over to the window to have a breath of fresh air. I can't stay there long because I am soon tied up again, of course. I can't imagine how anyone could see my face at this deep-set slit window. It was our field glasses, said Julian. They are such fine ones. It's a good thing you did get to the window for a breath of air, or we'd never have found you. ''Julian, I can hear a noise,'' said Jo suddenly. She had ears like a cat, able to pick up the slightest sound. ''Where?'' said Julian, turning sharply. ''Downstairs,'' whispered Jo. ''Wait, I'll go and see.'' She slipped out of the door and down the steep little stairs. She came to the door at the bottom, the one that led into the gallery. ''Yes, someone was coming. Coming along the gallery, too.'' Joe thought quickly. If she darted back up the stairs to warn the others, this newcomer might go up there too, and they would all be caught. He could bolt the door at the top and would have six prisoners instead of one. She decided to crouch down on the floor of the gallery, a little beyond the door that led upwards. Footsteps came loudly along the gallery and up to the door. Then the stranger obviously found the door unbolted and stopped in consternation. He stood perfectly still, listening. Joe thought he really must be able to hear her heart beating. It was thumping so loudly. She didn't dare to call out to try and warn the others. If she did, they would walk straight into his arms. And then... Joe heard Julian's voice calling quietly down the stone stairs. Joe, Jo? Where are you? And then, oh dear, she thought she could hear Julian coming down the stairs to find her. Don't come, Julian, she said under her breath. Don't come. But Julian came right down, and behind him came Terry Kane and Dick with the girls following with Timmy on their way to escaping. The stranger down at the door was even more amazed to hear voices and footsteps. He slammed the door suddenly and rammed the stout bolt home. The footsteps on the stairs stopped in alarm. Hey, Joe, is that you? called Julian's voice. Open the door. The stranger spoke angrily. The door's bolted. Who are you? There was a silence. Then Terry Kane answered. So you're back again, Pottersham. Open that door at once. Uh Oh-ho, thought Julian. So the other scientist is here too, Geoffrey Pottersham. He must have got Terry Kane here by kidnapping him. What can have happened to Joe? The man at the door stood there as if he didn't quite know what to do. Joe crouched down in the gallery and listened intently. The man spoke again. Who set you free? Who's that with you? Now listen, Pottersham, said Terry Kane's voice. I've had enough of this nonsense. You must be out of your mind acting like this, doping me and kidnapping me, telling me we're going to go off by fishing boat to the continent and the rest of it. There are four children here, who saw my face at the window and came to investigate, and children, said Pottersham, taken aback. What? In the middle of the night? How did they get up to this tower? I'm the only one that knows the way in. Pottersham, open the door, shouted Terry Kane furiously. He gave it a kick, but the old door was sturdy and strong. You can go back to the tower, all of you, said Pottersham. I'm going off to get fresh orders. It looks as if we'll have to take those kids with us, Terry Kane. They'll be sorry they saw your face at the window. They won't like life where we're going. Pottersham turned and went back the way he had come. Jo guessed that he knew the same way in as they had happened on. She waited until she felt that it was perfectly safe. And then she ran to the door again. She hammered on it. Dick! Dick! Come down! Where are you? She heard an answering shout from up the stairs behind the door and then Dick came running down. Joe, unbolt the door, quick! Joe unbolted it, but it wouldn't open. Julian had now come down too and he called to Joe. Turn the key, Joe. It may be locked too. Julian, the key's gone! cried Joe, and she tugged in vain at the door. He must have locked it as well as bolted it, and he's taken the key. Oh, how can I get you out? You can't said Dick, still, you're free, Joe. You can go and tell the police Buck up now, you know the way, don't you? I haven't got a torch, said Joe, oh dear well. "'We can't possibly get one of ours out to you,' said Dick. "'You'd better wait till morning then, Joe. "'You may lose yourself down in those dark passages. "'Yes, wait till morning.' "'The passages will still be dark,' said poor Joe. "'I'd better go now.' "'No, you're to wait till morning,' said Julian, "'fearing that Joe might wander off in the strange passages "'and be lost for ever. She might even find herself down in the dungeons. (gasps) Horrible thought. All right, said Joe. I'll wait till morning. I'll curl up on the gallery here. It's quite warm. It will be very hard, said Dick. We'll go back to the room upstairs, Joe. Call us if you want us. What a blessing you're free. Joe curled up on the gallery, but she couldn't sleep. For one thing, the floor was very hard and the stone was very, very cold. She suddenly thought of the little room where they had seen the pitcher, the dagger and the chocolate wrapping paper. That would be a far better place to sleep. She could lie on the bench. She stood up and thought out the way. All she had to do was to go round the gallery till she came to the little door that opened onto the corkscrew staircase leading from the gallery to the little hidden room. She made her way cautiously to the door. She felt for the iron ring, turned it and opened the door. It was very, very dark and she could see nothing at all in front of her. She put out her foot carefully. Was she at the top of the spiral staircase? She found that she was. She held out her hands on either side, touching the stone walls of the curious little stairway, and went slowly down, step by step. Oh dear, am I going the right way? The stairs seem to be going on so long, thought Joe, I don't like it, but I must go on. End of Disc Three